The following message is a teaching by Dr. Jason DeRoshi, Associate Professor of Old Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information about Jason can be found at deroshi-meyer.org. Hello. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Exodus, chapter 3. Today's lesson is not an easy one, but I teach it based on my commitment to be a whole Bible man. The portrait of God in Exodus is a very hard portrait for many. And my prayer is that God would be very gentle with the hearts of those in this room and that he would, by his grace, let you see the hope, unbelievable hope, of having a God who is not small, but who is massively big. Indeed, who is over all things, the causer of all. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, how much we need your help. Without you, we can do nothing. With you is all power. With you is all strength. With you is all hope. We want a God who is all good, who is all powerful, and who knows what is best far better than we do. Come, Lord Jesus, by your grace and meet us today. Hold our hearts in your hands just as you have promised to do for all of your own. No one can snatch us away. Thank you that with all the power that you have, it is working for us and not against us if we are in Christ. So may those in this room gain encouragement today, Lord for those who are in here that are in Christ, and for those who may not be, I pray that you would scare the hell out of them and let them see your amazing love. Through Jesus I pray, amen. The book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, is where we begin. This book is broken into three sections. As I mentioned last week, the entire book is about God. God's passion, right passion, just passion, loving passion for his own glory. Yahweh's self-exalting and yet gracious. His gracious redemption of his people, his gracious covenant with his people, his gracious presence manifest among his people. Two key questions that guide this book. Number one is the question of Israel. What is his name, Moses? You say you want to lead us out? You're the messenger of deliverance? Well, who is the God who's going to deliver us? What is his name? And then Pharaoh's question Who is Yahweh that I should obey him? And a God who is over all things, from whom, through whom, and to whom everything exists will answer those who ask, Who are you? Who are you? Three answers given in this book. Yahweh's miraculous self-exalting deliverance of his people from slavery. That's the first 18 chapters. Yahweh's gift of his law as a means of sustaining a relationship with him. That is Exodus 19 through 24. And then Yahweh's gift of his presence is the key element that distinguishes Israel from the other peoples. This is the outline of our next three weeks, Lord willing. Here's our passage. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. We want to delight in the God who reveals himself in his word. He's the only God there is. And we want to be on his side and not against him. Verse 13, Moses said, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say, Well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, God said to Moses, 
here's my response, and here's what I want you to pass on to the people. I am who I am. He goes on and says, say this to the people, I am has sent me to you. Not only I am has sent me, but verse 15, the Lord, and whenever we see L-O-R-D in all caps, that's the name of God, Yahweh. I am has sent me to you, Yahweh. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my memorial name. By this name, I want to be remembered. And it's one of the reasons why I count it a shame. I understand why the Jews did it, translating their Greek Bible. They changed all the names Yahweh to Adonai, or kurios in the Greek. They changed it to Lord, and we followed that pattern in our English Bibles. But it's a shame to me because there's a church that is growing up generation to generation who doesn't know the name of God. And I want to unpack for us today why His name is so mightily important and why He wanted His people to know it. Because in this name alone is their hope for you and for me in a hell-filled world. Notice the parallel. I am has sent me. Yahweh has sent me. God wanted Moses to hear a connection between Ahwah and Yahweh. Ahwah, Ahwah is I will be or I am. Yahweh is not I, it's He. So there's just the change of one letter between the verb I am and the name of God. And that first letter changes it from the change of one letter in the consonants. Hebrew was given to us only in consonants without vowels. So the consonants change one letter to move it from first person, God talking about himself, to the name that we identify with him. We, we say, he, whereas he says, I. But in the Hebrew, that word for I am, it's the same word as we have in, I think it's verse 12, when God says in verse 12, but I will be with you. It's the exact same form that's translated just two verses later, I am. It's the verb of being, God's self-existence. He has always been and always will be. And when he talks about himself, it's different from anything else in all the world because he simply is. Our existence is derivative. His is self-sustaining. But the word Yahweh doesn't simply say He is, He declares Himself, I am. Yahweh, that A in the first part of Yahweh, tells us that we're looking not at just a general verb, He is, but the causative verb in Hebrew. He causes to be. He calls himself, I am. But when we talk to God, we designate him as the causer of all. He causes to be. Picture with me C.S. Lewis. He is much more than the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. In that sense, he might designate himself, I am a dad, a husband, a professor, a man, a servant. He's much more than an author. But to the Narnians, if C.S. Lewis, Jack, had written himself into the book, every character in Narnia, when they saw him, they would designate him, he's the causer. 
He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. From our perspective, we don't know all that God is, but this we know. Everything is from Him and through Him and to Him. Everything? Everything? Everything. Exodus chapter 4, verse 11. God, I'm not quite sure if I want to go talk to Pharaoh. Last time I was in town, I murdered somebody, and there's a price still on my head. Not only that, I denounced everything Egyptian, and I've, I've turned a leaf. Don't you remember? I want you to go. God, I, I'm not the best speaker. Moses, read these words that are not parable, that are not hyperbole. Read these words and shudder. Exodus 4.11 Then the causer of all, Yahweh, said to Moses, Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, he who causes all things to be that are, Yahweh? Do you hear that? My brother's Down syndrome did not happen by accident. Oh yes, there's a chromosomal imbalance in his body, but it happened because of God. I made man's mouth. I make him mute and deaf and seeing and blind. Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now, I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill. I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. That is our God. What is his name? Who is Yahweh that I should obey him? What kind of physical challenges have you experienced in your own life? How about in the lives of your loved ones? I wound and I heal. I kill and I make alive. This is who I am. I am the causer of all and I want my name to be remembered. Don't make me small because if you make me small, if you act as though the pain in your life came about from some other ultimate end than me, then you have no hope that there is one big enough to stop the pain. Do you hear that? If God's not over all things, including the pain and the brokenness, physical trauma, if he got caught off guard, or if Satan somehow thwarted his purpose, then what hope do we have that God's going to be big enough to show up when his own people who he's redeemed, not by because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is, when, when we call on him, not for a meritorious, you have to meet me, but by grace, I come to you. On what basis can we have hope unless he is big, even though we can't understand him? And I want my people to know that I am big and able and I will not be contained. Number two, the causer of all, he's the maker of mouths. Oh, before I jump to number two, what does this say to me? For Moses, what it meant was God was the divine enabler. And if he calls you to do something, he can give you what it takes. You need not fear. He's that big. 
And if this big God is for you and not against you, oh, you've got, you've got power, you've got hope, you've got comfort, you've got confidence. Moses, I am with you, the causer of all, the maker of noses, the maker of mouths. I bring headaches in order that you might see me as the one who can take them away and glory in my greatness. Number two. Natural evils, yes, but how about moral evil, our God? This one's a little bit tougher, but it's part of the book, so we tackle it. Verse 21 of chapter 4, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. You know that staff in your hand that you'll be able to throw on the ground and it'll turn into a snake. You know how how you can stick your hand in in your garment and it'll turn leprous before their eyes. Do these miracles before the eyes of Pharaoh. But know this, I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. You will command, let my people go. But I will not enable obedience. I think that's what it's saying. Moses has not been to Pharaoh yet. But before he goes, the way he is to be perceiving and understanding every response of Pharaoh from point A to point Z is that God is orchestrating a plan that includes and is not separate from the human heart. God is in charge of the human will because he's the causer of all. He's in charge of your heart, your submission to the divine revealed will. He's going to reveal his will to Pharaoh. He's going to say, let my people go. That's his revealed will. But Pharaoh's submission to the revealed will of God is contingent on God's more supreme, ultimate will. So here's the promise. Pharaoh, sorry, Moses, I will harden. It's very difficult because the text doesn't say, I, his heart will be hard. It doesn't make a statement of knowledge about the future. It makes a statement about God's activity with respect to Pharaoh's heart. So the promise comes, and then we have Moses engage Pharaoh. Chapter 5, verse 1, And afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Let my people go. Here's the revealed will of God, and the Bible is filled with God's revealed will. Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the causer of all. I will not let Israel go. Promise? Fulfillment. Now, this has been a very hard theological challenge for many. What I'm proposing as the interpretation of this text. It's been recognized that ten times in this narrative, it says explicitly, God either promises to harden or did harden. Ten times. It says God either promises to harden Pharaoh's heart or did harden Pharaoh's heart. But there are also ten other times where it simply says Pharaoh's heart was hard or Pharaoh hardened his own heart. 
So we've got 10 with Yahweh and 10 where it just declares his heart was hard or Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Not only that, it's also been rightly observed that it's only after the sixth plague that it explicitly says Yahweh hardened his heart. Only after the sixth plague. Up until the sixth, and the first, and the second, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, every time it says either his heart was hard, or it says he hardened his heart, Pharaoh. So the proposal is it's wrong to put too much weight on God. Indeed, there's a balance between each one. And in fact, the weight even falls toward Pharaoh as the initiator of his hardness because it doesn't explicitly say Yahweh hardened his heart until plague six, even though the promise comes in chapter four. But that won't work. It won't work because the promise comes in chapter 421, and then chapter five comes as if Without any signal, all we see is Pharaoh's hardness. And if I'm reading the story and I get to chapter 5 and I see Pharaoh say, Who is Yahweh and I will not let the people go? I don't think I can read that in any other way than suggesting that the promise is being fulfilled. But it gets more explicit. Here's the next time the mention of Pharaoh's hardness shows up. Chapter 7, before the plagues even begin. Chapter 7, here's what God says, verse 2. Speak all that I command you, Moses, and also your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out. But know this, verse 3, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, And though I multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt, notice God's anticipating the plagues. Though every one of the plagues will come, I will harden his heart. Pharaoh will not listen to you. Now we get to verse 13. Pharaoh's heart was hard. I wish the ESV would not have pushed this. There's a lot of Um, reformed guys who translated the ESV. But they did something that I don't think is very fair. They put this word hard in the passive at this point. it, It doesn't say Pharaoh's heart was hardened. In the Hebrew, all it says is Pharaoh's heart was hard. Let the text say what it says. But then notice what follows. And this is the point that's missed by those who just put 10 on one side and 10 on the other. This is the point that is not addressed, even in the commentaries. They'll just walk over these little words, and I can't walk over them. And because of this, it just forces me to say, yes, this is right. God is promising, and he's fulfilling. Pharaoh's heart was hard, just as Yahweh had said. Do you see that? I will harden his heart. Pharaoh's heart was hard, just as Yahweh had said before any of the plagues even come up. The narrator, Moses, is telling us, you're reading it the right way. You're not getting off track. You're not putting too much on God. No, you're putting the right thing on God. He is the causer of all. And what that means is that he's in charge of the human heart, determining who will submit and who will not. Just as Yahweh had said. Verse 22 of chapter 7, Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. He wouldn't listen to Moses and Aaron as Yahweh had said. Verse 15 of chapter 8, Pharaoh saw there was a respite, so he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as Yahweh had said. Verse 19, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He wouldn't listen as Yahweh had said. I don't know how else to read it. 
that the God who reveals himself in this book wants us to know he's this big. That your surrender to him is not going to be something you can boast about, but something that you must say thanks be to God for. That when you pray for the salvation of a loved one, you're not praying in vain. No, you're praying to the only one who can overcome the hardness of a heart. That's why we pray. God, move, move, rather than say, God, I ask that you act in such a way, but don't, don't overcome. Let him do that. We don't pray that way. We pray for God to act and to move because we trust that he is big enough and he's declared it to be so. And that all hope of salvation and deliverance and perseverance and holiness and, and overcoming of sin is going to be by faith secured. Trusting God to do for me what I can't do in myself so that he gets all the glory and I get all this amazing blessing. Because he's the one from whom and through whom and to whom everything exists. That's a big God. But it's a God we, we want because as hard of a heart as you find yourself having, there is no hardness too thick for God not to overcome. Or as far distant as your loved one may appear, there is no distance too great for God to overcome. There's hope in this, brothers and sisters. There's hope in this picture of Exodus. He wants us to know it's my memorial name. Yes, Yahweh. He causes all things to be that are. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Your entire existence is dependence on this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anything that's not done from faith is sin. Because faith is the one thing that the human does that takes the spotlight all off of us and puts it on God and puts us in a context wherein we can enjoy his unmerited favor. And it's in that context that he gets made great. His, he's, he's like magnified in a massive way, a telescope magnifying a, a massively huge distant moon for the glories to be shown. You declare, I am a sinner. I am a sinner saved by grace and the cross is made much of. Why would God reveal his will to Pharaoh but not enable him to obey? Why would God harden Pharaoh's heart? If you're reading Exodus carefully, it leaves no question. Exodus 7, 5 I will harden his heart, and here will be the result. The Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Remember, remember what we did last week. We assessed why it was necessary and right and even loving for God to be most passionate for his own glory. Before the seventh plague, Exodus 9, For if by now, Pharaoh, if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been cut off from the earth. But I'm sustaining you. In my mind, I've got a plan. It equals ten, not six. I'm sustaining you through the suffering, through the trial. You could repent at any moment. You continue to persevere in your hardness. I could have wiped you out. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power and in order to pro proclaim my name throughout all the earth. 
Hell exists to proclaim the bigness of God. And that is a loving thing for God to do. To let us know that Satan is not his equal, but that he is to be judged eternally underneath the foot of his Son. And if God is working in your heart even now, be praying, God, let me be part of the victory and not the punishment. You alone can move me there. Before the eighth plague, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of the servants. Why? For this reason, that I may perform these signs of mine among them and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson I want the word out there, not only now, from generation to generation, that you may pass it on to your son, to your grandson, of the mockery that I made of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, that you may know that I am Yahweh. I count everything but rubbish, but to know, to know, to know Christ Is that your passion? Do you affirm this need of Moses, this need of Yahweh to to let us know him rightly? Before the tenth plague, Pharaoh will not listen to you so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land. That's why I want it to happen. If there was no sin, the cross wouldn't happen. If there was no orphans in the world to be adopted, we would have no understanding of how we ourselves were lost and have been found. Concerning the crossing of the sea, as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after after them, Israel, and I will be glorified honored through Pharaoh and all of his army, through his chariots and his horsemen, then the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh, that they will know in this moment, finally it will happen. Who is Yahweh? Oh, they will know. Finally, definitively, he's the causer of all things. When I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen, reflection from the commentator in Psalms. We have sinned like our fathers. Just like them, we have committed iniquity. We've behaved wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but they rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them. We're going to see that. Israel's salvation in this text is not due to them. God could have justly done to them what he did to Pharaoh, but instead God decided to bring out his wrath on a lamb whose blood was put around the doorposts and redeemed a people in spite of themselves. Why did he save them? So that the world would know his name. A name, the causer of all. That's not simply the causer of pain, but the causer of salvation, of deliverance from pain. If we have a world where God is not orchestrated evil to be, then there's facets of God's existence. Think of a diamond from every angle. There's facets of God's existence or of a prism where the light is coming and refracting and reflecting, there's facets of God's existence that would not be known as clearly as they could be without there being evil in this world. If there were not sin to judge and sin to pardon. Number three. He's the overseer of nature and the defeater of Egypt's gods. And by this, I'm proposing he's the life, he, he alone, by his power and for his glory, upholds life and death. 
and he let you wake up this morning. Just pause and breathe for a second. The fact that you're still breathing means he still has purpose for you. Your life could end in an instant. But right now you're still kicking. Take comfort in that. Take hope in that. And turn your eyes to the one who's over all and say, God, I'm not where I should be. I'm not who I should be. I'm not displaying you as I should be. God, help me. For whatever reason, like Scrooge in the middle of the night who was awakened to realities that he had missed, he'd been living in a blindness of sin and deceit and self-righteousness and self-focus. God, my eyes are being opened. I need to have a bigger view of you. Help me, God. You're still letting me breathe and that gives me hope that there may be more and you have promised that those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved and so I'm calling upon you. Even now, come and help me. And he will. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all of the gods. On the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. One of my friends has gone through, he's an Egypt, he's an ancient Near Eastern guy, that's what his focus is, and he's gone through and identified among all the Egyptian gods that we're aware of, which of those gods could have been targeted by each plague? The Egyptians, when they looked at nature, they didn't see just motion. They saw the gods in activity. When nations in the ancient world went up against nations, it wasn't just a battle of people groups. It was a battle in heavenly spheres of whose god was bigger. God goes to the Nile... He says, let it be blood. Canum was the guardian of the Nile. Hopi, the spirit of the Nile. Osiris, the giver of life, whose bloodstream was the Nile. So what happens when Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh? I don't know who that is. He's the one who has power over Canum and Hopi and Osiris. And when he says, let it be blood, it's blood. Frogs. The God of the resurrection was portrayed as a frog. And now he's out of control. He's in my bed and in my shower. Oh, shoot, he was in my boot. Gnats and flies, no connection that we know of. But the gods are supposed to create order. And all of a sudden, when these bugs are getting into your hair and in your nostrils crawling on your eye and you're, you can't even see because there's so many of them. You might have a hint, there's a little bit of disorder and my gods aren't doing a good job. Against the cattle, Hathor, the mother goddess, was in the form of a cow. Apis, a bull god, Ptah, symbol of fertility. Menevis, the sacred bull of Heliopolis. And God just destroys the cattle. Boils and hail, locusts. None of these gods could uphold and stand against God when he intruded into space and time. Think about Genesis 1 in this regard. He said, let there be light, and there was light overcoming the darkness. He separated the waters above from the waters below. The waters above he called sky And then he let the dry land appear and he called the water the seas. And then he allowed vegetation to sprout. He put luminaries in the sky to determine the seasons. And then in the sky he put the birds and in the seas he put the fish. And then on the ground he made land animals. And then he raised up man and gave them dominion over them all. No mention of gods. And yet the book was written to a people who'd just been redeemed out of this context. In the beginning, God, period. 
from whom, through whom, to whom, the causer of all things. And when he says, let it be dark, it's dark. That's how big our God is. Controlling earthquakes and tsunamis. All of nature. Do you see that? All of this is about nature. And it's God who's in charge of all of it. Determining where every snowflake and hail ball flies. Do you realize the God that I am? What is his name? He wants us to know him as this big. A God that's beyond our comprehension. I, just, I, I don't want to manipulate the text. I just want to let it speak. And God's saying, I'm the one who's bringing these things. That's me. And then he's the God over the very life of Pharaoh's son. Pharaoh himself considered deity and could not stop the hand of Yahweh when God said, let the breath be gone. Your children are in the hands of God. Who is like you, O Yahweh among the gods? Who is like you? Israel sang, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Blessed be Yahweh who has delivered you, Jethro said to Moses, his, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. Blessed be the Lord who's delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. What did this say to him? Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all the gods. Do you hear the hope in that? You don't need to fear whatever demons might bring, whatever trauma might come. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Satan is real. He is active. He is manipulating and twisting and moving. And yet, when I as the reader read the story in Job chapter 1 when Satan knocked on God's door and God gave gave Satan permission to go be active in Job's life and Job lost all of his children along with his house and all of his crops, he said, blessed be Yahweh. He gave and he took away Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the causer of all things. Period, quotation marks. The narrator then jumps in, lest we have a wrong view. And he says, in all these things, Job did not sin with his lips. That is our God. And because of that, because of that, I have massive hope. Not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is on my behalf. That this God who is that big, whose wrath was poured out on Egypt, was due to come on me. And yet, all of a sudden, Christ stood in my place. And he takes that wrath upon himself. And all of a sudden, by his stripes, through his blood, I am healed. I have hope. Because I have such a big who brings about mercy, who brings judgment simply on the basis of how he chooses. All of us deserving of wrath because we ourselves are sinners who sin. And yet some he redeems. On the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of the Egyptians while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn whom Yahweh had struck down among them and on their gods also Yahweh executed judgments. And who is like your people? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them a great and awesome things by driving out before your people for yourself from Egypt a nation and it's God's. He's the causer of all, the maker of mouths and the messenger of deliverance. He's the causer of all, the controller of hearts, including Pharaoh's and mine and yours. He's the causer of all, the overseer of nature and the defeater of Egypt's gods. He's the the causer of all, 
What is his name? He's the redeemer of Israel in spite of themselves. Chapter 12. Here's the deal, Israel. I want you to get a lamb. Make sure it's a lamb without blemish so that you know when you slaughter that thing, it's not being killed because it was a poor lamb. Rather, it's representing perfection. And all of your sins are going to be put on that lamb. It's not dying for its own sin. It's dying for yours. It's not because of who you are that I'm bringing you out of Egypt. You're not more righteous than these nations, Israel. You shall be, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You take it from the sheep and from the goats. Verse 11, in this manner you shall eat it. Your belt should be fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Be ready because substitution's going to come and you're going to move, not as my enemy, but as my redeemed son. And you shall eat in haste. It is Yahweh's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh. Yahweh is the causer of all in an unbelievable way. In the gospel that Pastor John has been preaching through, Jesus identifies himself with the God of the Exodus. So I ask you, what do you need the causer of all things in the person of Jesus to be for you today? He says, I am. I am. I am the one with authority over the storm who calms fear. I am. Do not be afraid. He's the all-satisfying one. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me will not thirst. He is the light of the world, the ultimate guide and enabler. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. He's the one in whom you must believe to be saved. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, that I am, you will die in your sins. He's the one you will recognize as the God of Exodus 3 after my death and resurrection. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am and that I do nothing on my own authority. John 13, I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am. Jesus is the one who existed before Abraham. I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He's the only door to refuge. Do you need refuge today? Do you need your soul quieted and put at ease? Come to the causer of all in the person of Christ. Truly, truly, I say, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and will find pasture. He's the good shepherd, the ultimate provider and protector who gives himself for his own. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. He's the one who provides eternal life and the only access to the Father. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He's the source from which all good fruit is produced. I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He's the one whose identity demands homage. Jesus said, I am, and when Jesus said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. And now John, in the book of Revelation, Jesus as the I am is the absolute sovereign over all. The source, sustainer, and goal of everything. Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. 
I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. Revelation 21, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. It is done. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of life without payment. There's hope. There's encouragement. And finally, I am the Messiah anticipated from the line of David. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. I am the bright and the morning star. What is his name? Who is Yahweh that I should obey him? I am Yahweh, the causer of all. Israel's response when they saw the great power that Yahweh used against the Egyptians, they feared. Fear. They feared Yahweh and they put their trust in Him and in the messenger of that deliverance, Moses. So there's the question. Pray with me. Fear and belief. That's what we want, Lord. Keep a big vision of you in front of our eyes that we may fear you. And then by your grace, help us not think of ourselves but turn to you through Christ and trust and believe all that he has secured for us. Every promise, yes, yes, You who are the causer of all can be for us and not against us. Not because of who we are, but because of what Christ is. Praise to the Lamb that was slain. You are purposeful. Move in our hearts, we ask. May we not make you small. Help us to keep a big vision of you in our eyes. For in that we have great hope. In Jesus we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the ministry of Dr. Jason DeRoshi, Associate Professor of Old Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Jason DeRoshi. For more information on Bethlehem College and Seminary, we invite you to visit online at bcsmn.org. For more information on Dr. DeRoshi, visit online at deroshi-meyer.org. Proclaiming the kingdom and treasuring a God who rules, saves, and satisfies through covenant for His glory in Christ.